Don't feel you have to get all orderly now and sit where you are. Just let God continue to do what he wants to do. This just flows into everything that I want to say to you. I want to speak from, I'm going to change it. I want to speak from Mark chapter 1. And uh, we kind of had this theme of engaging our world, but I want to talk about Mark chapter 1 in the context of reaching the poor. And I want to, I want to try and help us to understand that I think God is trying to stir up something fresh amongst you as a family of churches and as families. I, I think that God is trying to stir up something new, um, a new level of understanding of how the poor and the broken are um, part of this whole thing called the kingdom of God, and not only part of it, but an essential ingredient in our, in our makeup. And for too long, I think churches have kind of outsourced the poor. Do you know what I mean? We've kind of given money to the poor or we've resourced mission with the poor. But I believe God is calling us to a day where we understand that actually um, we need to be near the poor. We need the poor and the broken amongst us because um, they, 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 they exuberate something about the, the love of God. They help us to gain something as a, as a community. And in Mark chapter 1, I love the book of Mark because it's a bit like watching Match of the Day, isn't it? It's kind of the highlights. You don't kind of get the full picture, but it's, it's sort of a bit like Match of the Day. You, you turn it on and you, you think, what happened before that moment? And it's kind of a bit like that. It's like this fast-paced movie um, where we gain so much understanding. And I want to turn your attention to verse 40. It says that a leper came to him. Now, a leper came to him imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. He strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. Listen to those last couple of words again. I don't want us to miss the truth that's in here for our churches and for what we're trying to do as we, as we extend the kingdom of God, as we partner with God to bring life, light, and hope to cities and towns and nations. As we seek to do that, we're called to gather people together, aren't we? We need to gather. We need to be a gathered community, a called out community. But it says, this guy began to testify everywhere. In other words, he could not keep his mouth shut. Jesus said, keep your mouth shut. And he was like, it's too incredible. I can't. So this fame spreads, and it results in people coming from every direction. That's what the presence of God does. That's what the miraculous does. That's what loving the poor does. Actually, when transformation happens, it is so incredible... <coughs> that people come from every direction. 
Because they're like, whoa, I don't get this, but I want to know what's going on in that place. There's, there's this couple, they've moved to Malaga, and, and man, they've just had a changed life. Something's happened, something's changed, something's shifting. Man, this doesn't happen in Malaga. Well, it does now because you're here. This doesn't happen in Moldova. Well, it does now because you guys are here. You've moved into the neighborhood and you're bringing something fresh to the community. You're bringing something new to the community. And people come from every direction. Can you put that slide up for me? You see, I believe we're coming to a point. You know when I used to prepare a sermon? I used to, <laughs> I used to seek stories. <laughs> I was like... Give me a book and let me find a story that will help me illustrate the point I was trying to make. And God spoke to me one day and he said, I'm fed up of stories coming from the pulpit. They should be coming from the church. So I began to pray and I said, Lord, we want to see more stories from the, from the body, from, from just ordinary people than we do from here from the pulpit. So I got this last night. This is another story. This is a friend of mine called Calvin. And uh, it's not my brother. I have a brother called Calvin. But this is a good friend of mine called Calvin. And he met a guy called Galvin. And uh, this, guy called, this guy called Galvin was outside of Pizza Hut begging for money in Leamington Spa. Any of you that know Leamington Spa, it's the happiest place to live. It's just been voted this week. The happiest place in the whole of the UK to live. Yet here's this guy, Galvin, and he's begging outside Pizza Hut. And Galvin, um, I vaguely knew 15 years ago when I was on drugs. His whole family are just drug addicts. And he, he's lived his whole life in this kind of topsy-turvy, upside-down world of brokenness and poverty and living on benefits and just chaos. So Calvin, just an ordinary guy, walks up to Galvin. And he says, hi, I'm Calvin. What's your name? And the guy says, my name's Galvin. And he said, I'm Calvin, you're Galvin. Great. And he begins to unfold the hope that Jesus can bring right there on the street. What I want to illustrate to you today is the journey from the street, from the most broken place. And whether it's a leper like this or whether it's someone on drugs or whether it's someone in a completely different scenario, there is a journey for everyone that we meet as we usher them into the presence of God. Our only responsibility is to host the presence of God and bring people into the presence of God wherever we go, just release the joy and the presence of the Lord over them. So this guy's outside Pizza Hut, he's begging for money. And Anyway, he ends up, like so many, coming to Wales. <laughs> and he enters the Hope Center. This was about maybe a month ago, three to four weeks ago. And he came in and his body was in so much pain and agony. He was coming off such a huge amount of methadone and heroin and all kinds of stuff going through his body. He couldn't sleep. He was anxious. And I went in on the Friday. He came on the Tuesday, and he was kind of two or three days in. He said, I'm in agony. I'm in agony. And he was at the point where he was kind of like, I don't know if I can do this. So we prayed. And we asked the Holy Spirit, to do what he can do. And I said these words to him. I said, the Bible says that he gives his beloved rest. And then I said to him, because God loves you, 
you will sleep like a log tonight because he wants to prove to you that he loves you. I was going away somewhere, I don't remember where, but I got a phone call the next day. It's Galvin. I slept like a log last night. I've got no pain in my body. I now know this Jesus is real. So that's great. But then we were here last night and I got this through on WhatsApp. It says, Calvin. So this letter is to my friend Calvin. I would like to thank you for making an effort with me. You've saved my life by letting me know about this place. Thank you for picking up your phone and for making a place here available. By doing this, you have led me to finding faith in Jesus, which is the best thing I have ever done. I've been reborn in the Holy Spirit, and now my past life seems a distant memory. I now am looking forward to the day I get baptized by yourself and Pastor Clyde. What divine intervention, a wretch writ off off human I was until the day the Lord saw something in me for you to rescue my body and soul from the enemy. For eternity, I will be grateful for your help and support. Christopher Galvin, the once writ off fool who has now been saved. said in his heart there is no God the ones we're awful the Lord saw something in me do you know how much it means to know that the Lord has seen something in you that leper that was there in Mark chapter 1 he came to God and he was like, what? You, you wouldn't be bothered with someone like me. Why would you care about someone like me? And he kind of comes with this attitude of, if you're willing. So many people in our world, they have that same notion when it comes to the church. We're the representatives of God on earth and they have this same kind of notion of, There's such a bridge between where they are and where the church is. And I know there are reasons for that, but there's there's such a kind of gap. Do you understand what I mean here? There's this kind of wide gap between out there where life is happening, where the poor and the broken are, and then where we are as kind of churches. It's It's so apparent to me that we're so comfortable. Like me, I'm so comfortable. I'm preaching to myself firstly because the love that we need for the poor goes so much further than we understand. So this guy sees this incredible thing happen and people become, begin to come from all directions. This guy, we got the leper, now I'm going to turn you to this guy. He was like a leper in Leamington. No one would touch him, no one would go near him, he, was, he stunk, his hair was matted, he was, he was absolute chaos. He was banned from most shops for shoplifting. 
it was kind of like a modern day parallel this. I guarantee if you ask most of the community what they would do with someone like this, well, I can tell you from experience, 90% of them would not want him living near them. And that's the truth. How do I know that? Because we started a rehab and 96 of the 200 homes said, we don't want a rehab near us. But God had a way. Because no one wants that mess near them. They want to outsource it. They want to kind of say, no one objected to there being a rehabilitation center when we started our rehab. No, everyone was like, well, yeah, we need a rehab. Just don't want it on my doorstep. And in all honesty, if I ask myself that question, would I want it on my doorstep? Only because of the understanding that I have of the transformative power of Christ. Else there's no way I would want it on my doorstep. So what I'm saying to you today is, church, we've got to live differently. We've got to have a different understanding of what God can do in our community and move this stuff into our neighborhood. And move into these neighborhoods. And I know you guys are already doing that. You're smashing it. You're going into the darkest places with the gospel. And that's amazing. It's incredible. But how do we see more stories like this? See, I guarantee when, when we share this story on Sunday, the place is going to be rocking. You won't need a salvation. You'll hardly need any other preaching. People will get saved just like that. Because you can't argue with that. You can't argue with that. You can argue with, oh, well, this leper, you know, Mark chapter 1. But what I'm showing to you is the Bible, the Bible needs to become flesh. It needs to be worked out. It needs to be real. We need more stories of transformation amongst us so that God can stir up this stuff, this, this transformative power that he's given us to see lives change. Flick over to Matthew 25, if you would. Matthew 25. Is this Okay. Leave that up, please, because I just want it, I want it to inspire you. You know what? More and more, I'm getting these things like people are sending Facebook messages or people are sending like little WhatsApp clips like this, and it's just more and more stories. And I'm like, God, this is what we've been praying for. Do you know how exciting that is for me? Honestly, like it's just so exciting. It's so encouraging. But I want you to see that as well. Because some of you are kind of laboring, and I feel that you think that it's going to take five years to get some stories. It doesn't have to take five years to get some stories, guys. God's trying to do something through us every day. Every day. Matthew 25. Well, I love this. You know, the church hates this passage. We say we like it, but, we, but we, really, we really find this tough. And we should. Because this passage is mind-blowing. Let's read it, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. That's what you guys are doing, isn't it? Reaching out to all the nations. Um, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. He will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. When was the last time that we were hungry? 
I love Mike. Mike does this uh, fasting on Fridays. Fasting is such an amazing principle for us to get into our lives, isn't it? Such an amazing uh, sacrifice that we can make. And we feel the hunger, don't we? But it's not starvation, it's replacement with. You know, and, and, and God actually sometimes, I think, wants us to feel hunger. When was the last time that we felt hunger? We go home, we open the fridge, we cook a meal, we go out for dinner. When was the last time that we actually said, Lord, I'm going to go without a day today because I want to pray, because I want to remember all those who are going without a meal. How do we understand if we don't taste of it? Goes on. I was hungry. And you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger or naked, or sick or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Every person we meet, we have this amazing opportunity to usher them into the presence of God. And sometimes that looks like giving them a meal. Sometimes it may look like opening a rehab home. Other times it may look like bringing someone home and giving them a room in our house. Sometimes it may look like opening our house for a meal, hospitality. It can look like many things, can't it? But how do we consciously and intentionally break down the barrier between those outside of us and us on the inside. How do, we, how do we physically do that? I think we've got to hear the Holy Spirit. We've got to hear what the Holy Spirit wants in our context. Just because we do rehab homes, I'm not saying everyone should have rehab homes, although I do think every rehab should have a church and every church should have a rehab, but that's another story. But God may not have graced your context for that. He, he brings grace in different contexts for different things, doesn't he? So we need to hear the Holy Spirit, hear what he's saying. But if it's not that, then what I want to challenge you with is how are you going to get some people that are so broken and so messed up and their lives are so chaotic that it brings such challenge to your comfort? 
How are you going to do that? Because I want to tell you, we've got to do that somehow. Somehow we've got to have in our mix some people that, man, you just do not want to let them go. <laughs> you just, there's some mess there. I mean, it's chaotic. If you come to our church on a Sunday, you'll, you'll walk in, probably one of the first smells you'll smell is cigarette smoke when you're outside. Maybe some weed smoke if it's a bad day. One day I walked in, I found a, a, a gram of a, a substance in the toilet. He said, that can't happen in church. Well, so it's okay to happen out there, but it can't happen in church. Surely if those people out there are coming into our churches, then it stands to reason that that's going to happen. You know what I say to our staff team? Don't leave your phone around. Don't leave your purse around. Don't leave any temptation, because if it gets nicked, I won't be on your side. Because I'm not going to create division between one who is lost and one who is found. Our responsibility is not to put temptation there. Doesn't it talk about that in the book of Corinthians? When we, talk, we could talk about it in the context of meat and alcohol. But it's the same principle. There are some people amongst us who are susceptible to kinds of temptation. And if I leave my nice, new, shiny, yes, I've got the iPhone 8. <laughs> if I leave my nice, new, shiny iPhone on the table, in our church, the likelihood is it may go walkies. <laughs> and you know what? In the flesh, I'm angry at that. I'm like, you've stolen from me. You've robbed from me. I want to cut this relationship off. Why should I care about you anymore? But this is the thing about God. He never gives up on anyone. He never gives up on anyone. And we're called to pray for those who hurt us. Pray for those who despitefully use and persecute us, the Word of God says. Man, that brings such challenge to my heart and life. Because I think, God, I want this thing to be nice and orderly because I'm a saved Christian now. I don't live that life anymore. I want to kind of get out of that mess and live this nice kind of Christian life in this Christian bubble. In the flesh, I want to do that. But in the spirit, I know that that's not possible for someone who's been transformed. For someone who is, who is called to be a witness to the nations, and you're called to that, it's not possible to live in comfort. Or it shouldn't be. But at times we drift into comfort. We drift into this sense of, of, of stability. And we think, oh Lord, it's so good right now. Come by ah. <laughs> Everything's cozy. My friends are around me. And the Lord comes back and he says, who are your friends? Remember that situation on the cross? Who is my sister and mother? Wow. You see, sometimes we're so inward focused. And I'm provoking here because I know you're not. I know that many of you are not inward focused. In fact, you wouldn't be a Pioneers Conference if you were inward focused. But I'm trying to prod some more out. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get us to even another level of understanding about this that... that who is the messy people in your life right now? Who are the people that you are intentionally mentoring that they're far from God? I said to Shuad the other day, I have three in my life right now. They're far from God. Yet they're close at the same time. Why are they close? Because they're meeting with a Christian. <laughs> so although their world is far apart, in fact, I was on Facebook last night after being out and I saw one of them, she was out in the town partying, and I thought, oh my goodness, like, this is crazy. <laughs> I 
And I just thought, far from God. Yet every week she comes with her daughter, sits in a coffee shop, and we're able to minister to her. But she's far from God. Who are those people right now that are far from God, yet they are people of peace? You know what I mean? Sometimes we think of the people of peace as only the ones who can kind of open a door right now. But there's proof, actually, that that's not true. This leper became a person of peace. This leper became this amazing resource. And Jesus was able to touch this leper, heal him. He was astounded. In fact, Jesus was like, shut up, keep your mouth shut. I think Jesus already knew that he wasn't going to keep his mouth shut. And he added that bit in there so that this sermon could be preached today. (laughs) So that I can illustrate to you that there are some people who cannot keep their mouth shut. I'm one of them people. And, you know, not everyone's like that. I get that. But how are we going to get some of these people who, like, who write these letters, who, who can't keep their mouth shut about what God has done amongst us so that people come from all directions and then you can disciple them and you can grow them and you can grow your team and you can extend the kingdom of God and they can be your best youth pastors and your best, best worship leaders and they can be raised up to reach the community and, and you can see the kingdom of God come and they can pray for the sick and see them healed. How are we going to do that? How are we going to get these messy people around us who kind of don't care about the things that we care about? They're kind of a bit more edgy and they're a bit more kind of less straight-laced and they haven't had this kind of like middle-class background where everything was kind of pretty good but they're, but they're in amongst us and it's like, whoa, just swore you in church. <laughs> I mean, it messes us up, right? I tell you, I've heard some testimonies on our pulpit. I'm like, I can't believe you just said that. (laughs) In fact, last week I was preaching. (laughs) I'll tell you this story because you will enjoy this story. So last week I was preaching on giving and teaching the church about giving. And uh, we always do something like slap a high five to the person next to you or something like that. So I said, it just came out. You know when something just comes out? And I said, just touch the chest of the person next to you. <laughs> and honestly, the place went up in laughter. And, and, I, and, then, and then the next bit that came out was just disastrous. I said, some of you are going to position yourselves in the right place next week. <laughs> I'm being deliberately provocative because I want you to understand something. God doesn't work in our boxes. God is able to use people with the right heart. And you know, to some of us, we hear things like that. It's like, well, how can you say that? Listen, I don't know how I can say that. It just came out. But God doesn't work. God sees our heart. When a young man like this writes down, like, I'm writ off in this language, it's like, what, what do you mean by that? We, we can't get our head around it, but, but this guy's life has been transformed. He, he can't keep his mouth shut. He can't keep quiet about it. It's too great. It's too amazing. He can't describe what's happened within him. And he's kind of picked up this, this language of, I was writ off. And truth is, he was. And now he cannot keep quiet. Guys, when you get the broken amongst you, they cannot keep quiet because their life is a testimony to everyone they meet. And they're not polished, you know, they're not kind of, they're not polished in that way. You understand what I mean? They, they kind of come out with some stuff and they offend religious people big time. 
you know the amount of debates that we have to have to try and keep this amongst us is hard. Because you know normal Christians? You're not normal Christians, right? You're like good, solid, <laughs> spirit-filled Christians. I'm not speaking to you right now, so just I'm talking about everyone else, okay? <laughs> but normal Christians get so offended. They get that elder brother syndrome. They get that insider syndrome where they're perfect and they never make a mistake. But then they go home and gossip about the very ones to everyone else in the church. And they say, oh, we shouldn't have them on the pulpit. We shouldn't have them standing up there. They're too immature. They're this, they're that. Have you looked at your own life? Jesus said, don't look at the log. Don't look at the speck in your brother's eye when there's a log in your own eye. It's truth that we don't like, isn't it? It is. Because actually God is trying to provoke. Why was it that in, in Mark chapter 1 you see Jesus heal his mother-in-law. Then you see him cast out a demon out of someone. Then you see him preach everywhere around Galilee. And then he comes and heals this leper. It's almost like Mark's trying to say, look guys, this guy is so off the scale. He's going to mix things up. He's going to mess things up. This demonic guy is going to get healed and set free. This paralytic in Mark chapter 2, suddenly he's going to have this incredible testimony. This leper is going to have this incredible story of transformation. This guy, Galvin, who no one wants to look at in his hometown and his whole family are, are, are junkies and there's no hope for them and they're on social, they've been on welfare for ages and now this guy is saying, I want a job. I want to actually change that. That's what he told me just before we came away. I actually want to get a job. I don't want to be on benefits. I want to move forward with my life. That's transformation. It's rewriting the story of the city. Can you see this? Every city has a story. Every part of society has a story. And you know, there are places in Wales, like a place called Pill, where we're ministering at the minute. Oh, I could tell you an amazing story. I've got to tell you this story. Can I tell you this story? So... This is just an amazing story. I love this story. So we're trying to make inroads into this community called Pill. So the missional group that I run, we're kind of just praying and seeing where the Lord leads it because we want to establish something. I believe it's going to be a compassionate hub in, in Pill. It's going to be a resource center. I don't think it's going to be kind of like an ordinary church, if that makes sense. It's going to be a resource center for churches there to um, bring the kingdom of God in practical ways. That's what we're kind of seeing. And uh, so we've been ministering, and at first we kind of did the normal thing. We started going out on the streets and started speaking to the gangs and speaking to people on the streets. And to be honest, it was, it was pretty tough. It was pretty, it wasn't kind of easy ground, you know? So one day we were there, and myself and this guy, Calvin, not Galvin, Calvin, were, were going around the back and we went over to this huge gang of young people. And this is what they said to me. I'll never forget these words. Started speaking to them about the Lord. And amazingly, they were open. We were unfolding our testimony. We were speaking about Jesus. And they were coming back with the usual banter, you know, oh, you don't honestly believe that Jesus created the world. And what about, you know, this philosophy that they'd seen on YouTube? They were de dealing drugs, but they knew all about God. You know, <laughs> it's just... So we're having this debate with them, and then one of them, who was kind of a bit of a recluse over there, didn't really want to engage. 
he came over and he squared up to us. Like, literally, he was standing there and he was quite a big guy. And he said, pointed like this, no church around here will have us in its doors. We were kicked out of everyone. We've, we've been removed from every church in this area. I named a few churches that I knew of around there. We're banned from there. We're banned from there. We're banned from there. And of course, you can't comment on that because it could be good reason for some of this stuff. So we stood there, looked him in the eye, and we said, what if Jesus is more interested in a people than a building? And I said, what if God wants to raise up a church out of you guys here? And there happened to be about 11 or 12 of them. I said, this looks a little bit like the disciples to me. The only thing is, you're following other people above you in the chain, and you're dealing drugs. And I said, the only difference between me and you is I used to do that, but now I deal hope. And he didn't know what to say. <laughs> he just kind of looked square back at me, and he goes... <laughs> and he shook my hand, and he said, fair play. And then I didn't know what to say, because I was just like, this is so surreal, this is just crazy. Light was getting out in the darkness, and light always shines brightest in the darkness. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Right? So, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. There is some things that God wants to do amongst you that cannot be hid any longer. They need to come out into the darkness. They need to shine brighter than they've ever shone before. You need some people who are going to just... Because I tell you, God is doing some incredible stuff here. Me and Sherrod, we're just like... Honestly, you don't know how much we honor you guys. Like, seriously, we're just like... What can, we, what can we bring here? It's just like, <laughs> you guys are just smashing it. You're amazing. You're incredible. But the one thing I do know is that we can preach the gospel to the poor. And we can see them saved. And we can see them raised up. And we're seeing them in strategic positions. Because God still loves to use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. There's no greater testimony than a leper. It's no greater testimony than someone that's just... I tell you, in a few months when he goes back to Leamington on fire for God, I tell you, a bomb is going to go off there. A bomb of love. You, you understand that, right? His family. They're going to be at his baptism. So he's talking about his baptism. You know why? Because he wants his whole family to come. His whole family are going to be there in that room and they're going to see us baptize him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And on that day, we will make a call for salvation. And I'd put my money on it. I'd probably put my house on it that most of them will make a decision for Jesus. Do you know why? Because they can't argue with his transformed life. So how do we get people from there to there? We love intentionally. 
We go after the lost. We, we make room for the lost. We, we, we say, Lord, we're going to make room. We don't know how we're going to do this. And I promise you, it's going to mess up your church. But do you know what? Some of our churches need messing up. <laughs> it's going to mess up things. Suddenly, you're going to be eyeball to eyeball with like someone who was a drug addict a few weeks ago. And they're like, I want to preach the gospel to the poor. And then you need Mike to father them and help them and... No, seriously though, we need to father these people, right? Because how do we put the brake? How even Jesus couldn't put the brakes on this guy. You know, I love Chris's story about how you, you were called to ministry and then this guy says to you, not ready yet. And then you had to humbly receive that and move forward. It's an amazing story, and there's so much truth in that, isn't there? You know, I, I had an experience like that with my old pastor, John Andrews. He he held me back for a while. And you know what? I thank God for that. But it was done with the right heart. But let me give you another side to the coin. This guy, Jesus couldn't even put the brakes on him. I don't care what you say, Jesus. I can't keep quiet. Because something had happened in his life. He was so impacted. He was challenged and he was changed. Last scripture I want to give you is Acts 2. Flick to Acts 2. We got five minutes? Yeah? Yeah, or four. You want four, right? (laughs) This is the last scripture I want to give you. In fact, don't even bother turning there. Let me just say to you. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They were in one accord. They were in the upper room. There's this amazing moment of encounter. They encounter God much like we have over the last few days. The place is booming. It's exploding. And then there's this amazing bit where they walk out, isn't there? They have to go back. It's like this story of the transfiguration. They're having this amazing moment. They want to stay there. They want to build their house there. They don't want to move from there. And Jesus is like, no, we've got to get back down. And they're in this moment. I'm sure no one wanted to walk out the upper room. They're like tongues of fire on each of their heads, tongues for the first time. It was incredible. I don't think anyone would have wanted to leave. Yeah? But they're like, no, got to get out. Got to get into normal life. Got to get amongst the mess. I don't think they knew how messy it was going to be when they set foot out of there. I don't think they understood the, the gravity of what God was going to do amongst them and how he was going to use them. But they were speaking in tongues and they were speaking in languages that were known. This is an amazing thing. And this is the point I want to bring out of it, that they went out and it says that they heard them praising God in their own language. And this is the number one thing. We have to learn to speak the language of the people. And I don't just mean physically learning Spanish, which of course you need to do. I'm talking about learning the language of the culture that we're trying to reach. See, it's no good me going in to speak to a drug addict and speaking like I would to you guys today. I've got to, I've got to adapt it. I've got to be adaptable. I've got to become all things to all men. I've got to use relevant examples. I've got to speak into where they are. And whether it's supernaturally through the gift of tongues, and that has happened. One time we were given a gift of tongues on the live stream and someone in China heard it and they gave their life to Christ from the church. That happens. Expect the supernatural. Expect God to give you the language of the supernatural when you're in a context. But then do, do your bit as well. Learn the language. I, look, I, I said to someone yesterday, I, I'd love to come here, but I couldn't move here because I'm no good at learning languages. <laughs> so I'm doomed to the UK. <laughs> uh, I know that's not true. I'm joking. But it says that they heard them in their own language. We have to understand how to, how to enter these 
sort of decayed cultures, these broken places, and succinctly bring the gospel in power. And it's kind of a follow-on from what I was saying the other day, really. Our rehab stage has like five different points. Phase one, they're getting to know who Jesus is. We're speaking to him in everyday language. We're helping him understand who he is. Phase two, we're getting him back into a structured day of work. Phase three, we're helping him to move on. It's a whole journey with God, isn't it? Phase four, they're in supported housing. Now they're under the care of the church, and it's like they're free to kind of maneuver and do what they want. Why? Because the law is our schoolmaster to grace. There was a time when we need law, but now we need grace. When someone is so broken like that, they need discipline, they need strict rules, they need, they need grounding, they need someone that's going to kind of come in a bit tough at times and say, Galvin, what on earth are you doing? You're sitting outside Pizza Hut begging for money every day. There's hope. Come with me. Got to be pretty bold. Kelvin is a bold guy. And the last phase, which we're still working on, we want to we want to release people into employment and meaningful businesses. And I see businesses sprouting up all over Wales, just filled with people that no one else will employ. And I tell you, it's going to be such a testament. Do you know why? Because the one thing that the Welsh government can't solve is unemployment. Can't solve it. They've thrown money at it. They're trying to do it. Yet still in Wales right now, the unemployment levels are soaring. There's no jobs. So what does the church do in that? Do we just kind of stand there and speak our nice sermons on a Sunday and tell everyone that God's going to prosper them and bless them? And then they go home and they think, well, he's certainly not prospering me at the minute. So the Lord says, just create businesses. I'll give you the strategy from heaven. There's no money here, but we're not planning for, from our pocket. We're planning from God's pocket. So he begins to resource it. And then a guy called Stephen Peel, who's in our church, and he happens to work for the planning department. I'll finish with this story. He's the most crazy guy you'd ever meet. He's got this long black beard. He's the most unlikely person to ever shake hands with a drug addict. He's like, not even middle class. He's upper class. The guy's house is just... <laughs> got his long beard. Works for the planning department. One day he walks up to me in church. He said, Clyde, I want to give up my job. I said, what do you mean you want to give up your job? He said, I want to start a business that will employ these guys. So in the, in the next six months, he's giving up his job. He started a company so that we can employ these guys and bring them through to wholeness. That's what the church needs to do.